0: At its whole, it's a pretty interesting take on the coming of Jesus. Um, I, I don't know if any of you have those typical Christmas traditions. My my dad would always like to read the Christmas story before we open gifts, and his. As kids, sometimes we struggled a little bit with the priorities of the situation, right? We were, let's hurry through this. Uh, and every gospel tells the story just a little bit differently. So, for example, if you were to start uh, in Matthew, when you talk about the story of the birth of Jesus, Matthew says, okay, guys, uh, we're actually going to start with Abraham. And you're like, whoa, let's, uh, let's speed it up. I need the Sparks Note version here. We've got to get to some gifts. Abraham, what are you talking about? We're not going to go through the whole history of Israel. Um, And Mark just kind of skips right over it. He doesn't really talk about it at all. He just says, hey, Jesus is here, and he just goes on about his business. The story most of us are familiar with is from Luke, and that is the part with the details of the, the shepherds and the wise men and all that kind of stuff, all those, the angels singing and all that. But John is different. John is so different because he basically just says, he, he, he takes the Old test some Old Testament language of darkness and light, and he brings it to this moment of Jesus' birth, and he says, the light is here. The light is here. There's no stable. There's no ends. There's no angels. Whether or not those things are true, Mary and Joseph don't even get a nod in that story. He just says the light is here. There was darkness, and now it's light. He he talks about this in a few different places in that first chapter that I want to look at. Um, First of all, in verse in verse four, he says, "In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind." And then in verse five, he says, "The light shines in the darkness." And the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9, he says, The true life that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. Now you see this language echoed in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2, where he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it's later in that same chapter that we get that, that, that wonderful Father, Emmanuel, uh, these names of Jesus that we sing about and think about uh, during this season. It's that same chapter, but the light, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now, that may not mean much to us. It may not do much for us. It may not like, make much of an impression on our minds, much of an impression on our brains, but I just want you to kind of understand a little bit what it might have meant to people who were hearing that for the first time. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I, I got excited about Christmas and-, and really what excited me was my family coming kind of very social by nature, and so I enjoyed seeing particularly my cousins uh, coming for Christmas. And so every once in a while, you know, often we'd go there, we'd go to Grandma's house, but every once in a while my cousins would come to our house. And I remember one year in particular, they were coming, they would make a drive, they lived about eight hours away, uh, and I was too young to really have any concept of when to actually start anticipating their arrival. So I woke up in the morning way too early, like excited that they were going to be here. And then I would go out to the living room, and I'd look out the living room windows seeing if I could see them come up the driveway yet. And so I'd wait there, wait there, wait there. I mean, I'm hours too early for this, but I would be waiting, like just imagine little Patrick with his face pressed up against the glass, so excited for his cousins to come. And then it dawned on me, all I could see from this vantage point was the driveway, and if I really wanted to be able to like, see down the road a little bit, I needed to go out on the front lawn. So, you know, threw on a coat or whatever, went on the front lawn, and there's Patrick in the lawn, looking down the road uh, on uh, 35th Street where I grew up, looking down the road, hoping to see my, my cousin's vehicle coming down the road. And then it dawned on me that if I went down to the corner, to the main avenue down on the corner, I could really see far down the road. And so I walked further down the corner. It's kind of a wonder I didn't get kidnapped, by the way. So I'm down on the corner and I can see way down the road, standing on the corner, waiting for my cousins to come. Waiting to see that car come down the road. I don't know how old I was. it was probably old enough uh, to get better. And it's kind of, or to know better, it's kind of a surprise. Like if they hadn't showed up, I wonder how far down the road I would have gotten eventually. Because I wanted to make this waiting end as soon as possible. So it was like an active waiting. It was like me participating in the waiting somehow. In fact, it was me doing something to make the thing happen sooner. Closing the gap between my, uh, myself and my cousin's eventual arrival. And then my cousins come down the road and I don't know what it would look like to see Patrick half a mile from home jumping up and down like, hey! It's me you're here you know running alongside the car as I got back home so excited that they were here so excited that this whole process of of Christmas and family and food and all that fun stuff uh, could start the Hebrew people had been waiting for a Messiah for centuries for centuries that's why it's prophesied about in the Old Testament for centuries They had had their face pressed up against the glass of the living room looking out the driveway to see if the Messiah had come. And some of them got so excited that they waited out on the lawn for Christ to come. And some of them that wouldn't do it. And so they went down to the corner on the avenue and they waited on the avenue for Christ to come. So excited for this, for this Messiah to actually finally arrive. I mean, it was what their life was about. There were people who dedicated their lives to waiting for the Messiah, praying for his com- coming, this active waiting. And now, we read this story, now he's here. In a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now just imagine... You're those people who you've heard stories not just from your parents, but from your grandparents or maybe even your great-grandparents. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And eventually it would kind of move to the back burner of your mind because nothing was happening. But imagine, like imagine being alive when this uh, scripture came true. In the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned and now he's here. Now this is something that we have in common with most people in the first century. Most Hebrew people in the first century. Most people that were waiting for Jesus to arrive in the first century. Is that most people didn't realize he was here until he left. Most people didn't realize he was here until he left. You mean we missed him? What? We've been waiting and we missed him? They didn't fully grasp who Jesus was until he was gone. And sometimes it does take a while for the full realization of something to kind of dawn on us. For, for, the, for the impact, the truth of something to dawn on us. And I was thinking about like, how, how this is true in our lives kind of today. Those of you that are married and you got up on your wedding day and everything was perfectly planned, the bride had the perfect dress, you had the perfect cake, the groom looked great in his tuxedo, everything was just so, the flower arrangements were just so, everybody hit their cues during the songs, nobody messed up saying the name at the end of the service, everything was just right, <laughs> everything was perfect. And you vowed to love this person for better or for worse. But depending on how old or young you are or what your experience was, that for better or that worse, that didn't probably have that much meaning to you. Because probably maybe the worst thing that had happened in your relationship so far was like, uh, you know, he forgot to get you something on your three-month anniversary. You know? Or she didn't notice you got a haircut. (laughs) Or whatever it is. That's the worst. And better, it's all better. And you say, I love you on that day, and that's meaningful, and moms cry, and people in the audience are so into it, and they, everybody loves it, and they cheer, and they're excited. Everybody wants to watch you kiss, which is a weird thing. I don't know why we do that, but that's what tradition calls for. And you say, I love you, but I don't think most of us understand the full spectrum of what we're engaging in in that moment, do we? And it's through the ups and downs of life, the triumphs and, the, and, and, and the, the tragedies of life, that that gains meaning. And so someone who's been married 50 years and they look their bride or they look their groom in the eye and they say, I love you, there's a depth of meaning to those words that maybe didn't exist on their wedding day. Maybe. There's a depth of meaning because the full realization of the truth of this situation doesn't dawn on us right away. It doesn't dawn on us right away. Sometimes I think when people seem apathetic, including myself, when we seem apathetic about Christ, about a relationship with Christ, about salvation from our sins, we think, Jesus is here. Great. That's nice. And it's like a light has dawned, but it's a faint glimmer on the horizon. It's there. We kind of get it. It's in the back of our minds. But it's just this faint thing, this dim thing on the horizon, for the first few years after we bought a house here in Minnesota, um, I had to shovel my driveway by hand. A uh, little side note, I'm still shoveling it by hand because of my snowblower, but that's another story. Um, but I didn't realize. Like, you know, we lived in an apartment for a while and they had people come through and it was no big deal. You know, we had to wipe our windshield off, no big deal. But I bought a house and uh, evidently w- the first winter that I had this house, we had like the worst snow season in Forty years, of course, that's what people seem like they say every year. But it was a bad, you know, I was shoveling a lot. And I was like, man, my heart would get racing, especially that big, thick, heavy snow. When you'd think in the back of your minds, man, you hear stories about guys having heart attacks where they're shoveling. You know, maybe I should take it easy here. Uh, and I, there's got to be a better way than this. Like, there's got to be a better way. You see your neighbors with the snow blowers; They're out having a good time blowing snow. Well, the next summer, my, my wife bought me a snow blower at a garage sale. And uh, true to form, because of the type of person I am, I did not once test it out until we had a heavy snow. And then I dug that thing out of the garage, and I'm like, all right, just press a button, right? You know, it took me hours to get this thing started and finally got it started, and I'm out there in my driveway, and I'm excited. I'm ready to blow some snow. Like, I don't know how to describe that sense of, like, I don't know, there's a little bit, like, shoveling snow is okay, but, like, snow blower walking behind that thing seeing snow fly everywhere i'm excited and so i get this thing out and i start and i i don't know like i don't know much about snow blowers not having grown up here but the the it doesn't blow the snow it kind of slightly shifts the snow so there's this little chute and it kind of moves the snow about six inches to the left i'm like i don't think this is right And so I'm pushing this thing, like just, it doesn't have any automatic whatever, I'm just pushing this thing uh, down the driveway, I have a little bit of an incline on my driveway, pushing it, moving the snow about six inches to the left, and I'm like, that was harder than shoveling, and I move back up to the top, and I just got one little strip, and I go again, and it's piling snow higher and higher and higher, until, like, I've just got way too much snow and the, the, my little snowblower dies and I can't handle it and I have to finish up with a shovel anyway. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. Like what, like, what is, I guess, you know, garage sale snowblower. What do you expect? The next snow comes and I'm like, you know, I'm an optimist. Get that snowblower out again this time. This time I feel it. Come on, snowblower. You and me, buddy. We've got this. We can do this. And I start and it's not doing anything. And I'm like trying to figure out are there levers or buttons. And I notice kind of around the front to the side there's this little lever. And it's got a little turtle symbol. And it's got a rabbit symbol. And I don't know anything about turtles and rabbits and snow blowing. I have heard Aesop's fable and it's the turtle who wins. So this is a little confusing. But I'm like huh. We're on the turtle setting. I wonder what the rabbit setting does. So I flip that thing over. And you would not believe my snowblower turns into Arnold Schwarzenegger all of a sudden. (laughs) Snow is flying. I'm driving or flying down the the driveway. Snow going everywhere. I'm like, this thing is amazing. I get done. I start going over to the neighbor's yards because I'm like, I got a snowblower now too. I'm part of the cool kids club. This is exciting. There's a whole nother gear to this thing. Wow. I wonder for how many of us, Our faith is on the turtle setting. And we're just kind of like going along... ...and it's just not working. We're chugging along and it's okay. The light is here. Jesus is a part of our lives. But it's just this faint glimmer. There's no power. There's no substance to it. But I want you to know this morning... That there is another gear to your faith that you probably haven't tried yet. There is a rabbit setting to your faith that you got to tap into. Jesus is here. He is here to change the world, but he is here to change your life. And if he hasn't changed your life, then it's because you're working with the wrong setting. Jesus is here to transform you. Not to just make life slightly better. Or slightly worse, he's here to totally transform your life. And I think a lot of us haven't fully engaged in faith with Jesus. I think we know Jesus is here, but he's that faint glimmer on the horizon. A light has dawned. There is a whole nother gear to your faith. And we just kind of go cruising through life, like pushing along, struggling along, putting along. But you know what? That's not what God wants for you. That's not why Jesus came. That's not what his relationship with you is about. Here's my hope for this season. It's for us to realize that what we have been waiting for is here. And it's found in Jesus. We struggle with this mightily. We struggle with putting our faith in achievements. We struggle with putting our faith in having the perfect holiday. We struggle with putting our faith in our children's achievements. We struggle with putting our faith in all these things and when those things don't work out, we struggle with what is our lives are about. Man, I don't, I don't have any of the stuff together that I wanted to have together. My kids aren't doing well. My job's not doing well or whatever it is. It's because we put our faith in those things. And the thing that you want is Jesus and he is here. I know it sounds cliche. Oh, come on, Patrick. It sounds so easy. Jesus, that's what I want. That is what you want out of life. Whether or not you know it, Jesus is what you want out of life. Did you realize that? The world wants Jesus. They just don't realize it. We want Jesus We just don't always realize it. Jesus is here and the problem is is sometimes we have this tepid, apathetic faith because we've got our faith in Jesus on the turtle setting and it is time to switch it into a new gear. It's time to get serious about our relationship with God. The light has dawned. The waiting is over. Jesus is here. Maybe you felt like you're on the outside looking in. Maybe you've heard us get up Sunday after Sunday and talk about the gospel and talk about Jesus saving you from your sins. And maybe none of that stuff has ever clicked. But maybe, just maybe, today is the day where you realize, man, I have some junk in my life that I need to deal with. It is burdening with me with guilt and with frustration and with sorrow. And Jesus is here to take that away. I have some relationships in my life that are not working well and I have contributed to the problem. I have made it worse by my reactions to them. And Jesus is here to transform us and transform the way we interact in those relationships. Maybe you felt like you're on the outside looking in. And I think a perfect way to celebrate this season would be to move into discipleship with Christ more deeply. Maybe today is the day you need to get baptized. It's been in the back of your mind. You've thought about it. You've heard about it. You've you've heard. You've even asked questions about it. Maybe today's the day you're like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta turn my faith with Christ onto the rabbit setting. I gotta do this. Maybe today's the day that you connect with him in baptism. Maybe the day today's the day you finally invest more deeply in, in other disciples around you. Maybe the day is to, today's the day you find a way to really serve, not just show up and. You know, pat a few backs, but really get involved in serving someone else in this church family or in the community around you. Maybe today's the day that you share your faith with someone that you've been holding off and you've been thinking of excuses and uh, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. Maybe today's the day you just do it. You just put that faith in gear and do it. Maybe today's the day you finally allow yourself to, to be transformed into his image. Because you've been fighting that. You've been fighting the shaping of, of you by the Holy Spirit through God. Whatever step that is, let's put our faith, let's put our relationship with God into the next gear. Let's do whatever it takes to come fully to the light because the light has dawned. And if we let these opportunities keep passing us by because we know how this is. Let me, let me just break this down a little bit. This is in my notes. This is all this is, this is good stuff. You need to hear this. Because we all have this sense that we need to do better. We need to dig deeper. We need to get involved more fully. We all have that sense. But we've got this resistance to that. This resistance that is built up and every once in a while it feels like the light, it feels like the spirit, it feels like God comes knocking on that door and says, hey, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? And we're like, mm, kind of, no, I don't know, I'm not sure, maybe not. And we know if we push it off long enough that that feeling will go away, that the desire to change will kind of go away, that, that maybe God will just go away we know how that works. We know that guilt. We know how that stuff works. We just kind of push it off. Maybe God will go away and leave us alone. But we, have, we need to take advantage of those opportunities when God is knocking on our door. When God is calling us to something deeper. Whether it be baptism. Whether it be transformation. Whether, whatever it is in your life. Whether it be confession of sin in your life. That's a fun one, isn't it? No matter what it is, we need to take advantage of those rare opportunities when God is actually calling us, rather than pushing them off, pushing them off, pushing them off. Because we know when we do that, the voice gets more and more faint. So let's put this into next gear. What we're going to do this morning is something we don't do very often. We're going to offer an invitation. And so you know how often, if you've come to church here before, we have our elders uh, and their wives around the room, and you can go pray with them. Now that will be true this morning as well. If you have anything you want to pray for, we encourage you to go pray for them. But I am asking for something specific this morning. I am asking that if you have something that you want to dramatically transform about your life through the power of Christ, that you come pray with one of the elders and their wives. And you, you confess that. You say, you know what, my relationship with God has been tepid. I know Jesus is here, but I've not really put my relationship with him into gear. Or maybe my relationship with God has been non-existent, and it's time to get something going here. It's time for the Spirit of God to actually work in my heart and change. And so I'm going to ask that you take that opportunity. Nobody knows what you're praying about. In fact, you could be praying that your cousin has a safe flight in today. We don't know. But I want to invite you to come pray and come like just to take a step. Is that the way is that the way you have to do it? No, not at all. You can do it in your seat, but that's a cop-out sometimes for us. Maybe actually getting up out of our seats and walking and talking with someone and sharing our struggle with someone and getting prayer from someone who cares and loves us, maybe that'll be the thing that pushes us over the edge. So we're gonna invite you to stand, we're gonna sing a song called Oh Come on.